Hello and welcome to yet another great episode of the Inspiring Ideas podcast. Today's guest is Loris Marini. So he is on a mission to make data reliable, discoverable and ready to power analytics. So he focuses on data integration, warehouse design, analytics and reporting. He is also the host of the Data Project, a podcast to bridge the gap between data experts and data users and find efficient ways to work with data. He's got tons of things that he can help out uh, with you. And without further ado, let's welcome Loris Marini. How are you today? Hey guys, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm good. Thank you. Welcome to the show Loris again. So, uh, let's actually start the episode with uh, your introduction. Sure. Yeah, so I'm um, I suppose you know it's also it's always a hard question when people ask me you know who are you right because i've done quite a few different things so if you accept the concept that we associate ourselves with what we do then uh, i have to tell you what i've done <laughs> and and so I've, I've, my path is a little bit more linear like most paths uh, real in real life i've started out as an information engineering engineer um i've studied telecommunication systems and um satellites in particular working on you know minimizing the noise and and the interference and maximizing the signal so getting that maximum information flow to go from a system a to system b whatever the systems are so really high level theoretical and then i applied that knowledge in the context of a research um project for the um, european union uh, that was led by the german aerospace agency i then moved to australia um a bit of a uh, bit of an adventure there uh, the plan wasn't to you know stay that long it was really a, just a year a gap year you can think of it that way but um yeah I, my myself and my, my now wife uh, ended up loving loving sydney we were lucky to find a way to stay and so uh yeah so that my next step there was a research project at the university of sydney working on machine learning particularly reinforcement learning to solve really complicated problems in terms of um how much computational power you have to throw at the problem to solve to find a solution mm. and there's a you know for non technical people this is a, a class of problems in mathematics that um have lots of real world examples um for example you know if you have if i tell you there's a there's a library the library behind me there's a limited number of files or books and you have to find the optimal position of the book um so that you you can you can grab it as quickly as possible no matter which book you're interested in right yeah it sounds like a simple problem but it blows yeah. out so if that library is easy but if you go to an actual real world library the complexity of the problem is such that you can't just solve it absolutely right it is very similar to the google yeah google just what did google do google just did the sorting pretty and, much and now that's all they did and and how complex it is and look at the volumes of uh, searches and then ordering it right so that's exactly the the real life Explodes. problem that we are talking about so you can grow in great numbers uh, loris it, yeah it, it just explodes um <clears throat> and so the the community has tried to approach it in many different ways and machine learning um came in to help and that was uh, the, the concept there is that instead of attacking the problem at once um can we distribute the problem across many different independent actors that act as for as intelligent essentially beings um they make decisions they try different different books or different combinations until they collectively reach um a a a good 
a good um, outcome solution. Yeah, good outcome. Yeah. This is fantastic. I think, uh, Loris, we started the introduction and straight away we jumped into a use case. So yeah. that's really good. That shows your passion for data. And uh, I think the just next couple of questions, we want to get a better understanding of data from a business perspective. Yeah. Okay, and try to decode data into a very simple way. So uh, when you say data, you know, how do you define it? And why is it so important today? Yeah, I love that question because it's fundamental. It goes really down to grounding the concept. I think yeah. data, the way that I think about data is a, the result of an observation or a measurement. You know, you, you look at something happening and it's an experiment or, or um, a, an event unfolding, a customer buying a product or you designing a new product in the R&D department and having the problem of productionizing a scale. All of, basically everything that happens inherently produces a, a, a trace. Um, mm -hmm. Now, whether we take that trace and we put it into a stream of binary information, like bits on a hard drive or in the cloud, that really doesn't change the fact that when things happen and we observe them, what we're actually receiving is information in its pure form, without, regardless of what, whether it's, it's on a hard disk or it's in the cloud or it's encoded in music, you know what I mean? Like it's information is something that, that is beyond um, the physical representation of, of yeah. the observation that we, that we make. Mm -hmm. um, an example that I, that I love to make, because you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to picture these things is, take a book, imagine I open the book and I write the same word all over the pages. You know, that book will have very little information because once you know the first word you know the entire book you don't need to read 500 pages right you got everything you could from the first word so that's an example where there's a lot of data because the observation you know the process of the writer expressing the ideas is long you know all those types of those keyword strikes making up a book you know but inside the book the information content is very very little and so that's kind of you know what the mindset of telecommunications engineers and information engineers they try to say you know let's let's distill what really is useful out of a bunch of data um and so you can have one petabyte of data you can have the entire cloud full of, <laughs> full of ones and zeros but you you know, there's a, there's a, if, if you don't, if that was those ones and zeros don't convey a, a useful message, you have mm -hmm. very little information. And so, in business, it's important to find people that can stream, that can compress down, can distill the useful bits out of out of the mess. And so that's that's where my interest kind of comes in. So, in summary, what you're saying is, it's not just the information that gets stored; it's about the imagination, it's about the vision of how each of the data is actually conveying a perspective or a meaning for a person. Exactly, exactly. And so that's the, that's crucial, right? Because in the community, we hear a lot about insights um, and it's useful to define insight as well. The way that I see it is that an insight is something that changes the way you were thinking before. So you had an understanding of a problem and now a new evidence comes in and suggests, strongly suggests that what you had in mind is wrong. That's the moment where you go like, uh huh, okay. That's that is is this because of the data? The data is cor incorrect, or is this actually happening? And this is a t the typical question that uh, scientists uh, face all the time. When you're in a lab, uh, um, 
you're trying to discover something new, you have your equipment uh, that, that hopefully you can trust because you, you know it, you've characterized it. Then you have an experiment running, that's your observation, and you collect data, but out of that data, then you have to extract that information bit. Uh, yeah. Can, do I, have I learned something new? And if yeah. you haven't, then it's just data. So how, going back to Abhi's question, you know, Abhi was very keen to understand. He was in fact talking to me as well. How, how can we bring some richness in terms of uh, what are the real life business uh, meaning of data? So yeah, wonderful explanation of the theory, uh, Loris. So how can we, uh, you know, talk about uh, the explanation for the real life business use cases? Do you have any such examples that you would want to share? Yeah, there's an infinite number of examples. That that is. That has always been, that is not new, right? That has been there since we started recording stuff, like from using paper <laughs> on walls and caves. Um, so the, the <clears throat> what, what's different today is that there is way more of it and it changes really quickly. Um, so it's the three Vs of big data, you know, veroci velocity, uh, veroci veracity, and variety. So very different types of data, very quickly um, and, uh, um, and so, so that what makes what makes the problem an interesting one and a difficult one, especially because as data as the three V's of big data um, happen, the they, they don't just happen at a theoretical level. They are a reflection of the world. You know, the world is more complicated. Things move very quickly. We learned that unanimously through uh, the pandemic. So, the 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 as a the business you can think of the way that I think it is an organism in a larger ecosystem uh, where things change all the time and the strategy to survive needs to change and adapt and the more we go the the as time goes by the speed of that strategy adjustment how quickly you need to react um, increases you have to be quicker and so if you're thinking about a small business and i make the example of my grandpa you know when i was 12 we used to go together and I used to help him out. He, he was selling items of clothing. Um, he had his truck, we'd wake up at 5 a.m., we'd go set up shop, you know, and have that human-to-human -human connection with those with that clientele that he established over 25 years. That's an example of, of a small-scale business that was very successful, but didn't require any data, any, any data management, because all of the knowledge was inside my grandpa's head. And that's fine. The problem is when we scale, when we want to grow the business, we need to we need to have systems that are function as the equivalent brain that was that my grandpa relied on. We need that connectivity between sales, between procurement, between marketing, between operations, and and hopefully uh, be able to surface those those accurate views of what's going on all the way to the CEO um, so that we can, we can you know, collectively make better decisions. Mm. And with COVID, all this, so there are a lot of changes that have come through, as you just said, uh, purely in terms of uh, the, um, you know, the examples that you're talking about. Is, is there any particular standout um, use cases uh, that, that you think is going to be vital uh, in the next, let's say, 2021 or 2022? Yeah, I think I think for instance, e-commerce is is a major example. I mean, lots of businesses because of the pandemic realized that they could not rely on their physical presence anymore, um, and they 
I'm sure they were aware of the potentials of e-commerce, but they never had the urgency of actually considering seriously to invest in e-commerce. And many now had to, they had no other option. If you want to survive, you've got to move to a, a non-physical way of delivering your value to your customers. And so when uh, the moment you introduce relationships, and that's, I love the concept of, um, uh, that, of, of relationship centricity, the moment you think about you in respect to someone else being a customer or a partner or an associate or a, or a, 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 a human resource, mm -hmm. you need at scale, you need to, you need to have that visibility. So, you, and the only way to do it is with data. Um, the problem is data itself it can be messy. And so in, mm -hmm. inevitably you need to manage those assets, those, those, um, yeah, those intangible digital assets. That's true. That's great. So, Loris, as you said, that uh, now a lot of companies are looking at e-commerce as an example, right? And especially post-COVID. Now, this is very interesting because one side, post-COVID, a lot of companies want to adopt more emerging technologies into their business. At the same time, we, we see that a lot of surveys say that about 80% or 70% of these projects also fail or are not able mm -hmm. to deliver the business value which was expected out of them. Now, that mm -hmm. makes the life of a business leader very, very difficult, right? It's like a catch-22 situation for them. So yes. is there any particular advice that you have or suggestions or a checklist uh, that can help them to make more informed decisions or to bring clarity in terms of what their expectation should be when they are, you know, diving into these kind of projects and uh, how do they measure it as well? It's a wonderful question. And... I think the answer depends slightly on the size of the business, uh, but there are basic principles that apply throughout, right? Actually, they, are, they apply horizontally across industries. It doesn't really matter where you, where you are because the data problems are, are data problems. Uh, now, what you do with data downstream um, might, might change. And so let, let, me, let me take a couple steps back. Basically, the, I think that there has been too much focus on the last mile of analytics in the last um, 10 years in particular. Yeah. I think that we, we are all responsible um, in different ways for fueling that hype around uh, machine learning and um, so-called artificial intelligence, quote unquote. And uh, we, we failed to look at the part of the iceberg that is underwater, you know, the 90% that must happen for the last mile to succeed. And uh, I think this is this is the core of the problem. Um, mm -hmm. While machine learning is perceived as, you know, a, a very a revolutionary way of solving problems, and it is, um, I'm, I'm the first one that's super passionate about it. It's not alone. Uh, by itself is is useless. You need to apply it in in the right context. So people that that ride those those models need to be aware of how the business works. There's no mm. shortcut there. You know you, that curiosity uh, layer has to be there for any data practitioner, regardless whether you're in data management or in or in deep learning. You need to be aware of the actual problems to be able to provide a useful solution. Otherwise, you provide a solution that might be mind-blowing, but it might be not useful and not impact the bottom line. And sometimes, that's my, my belief, 
most of the time, you don't need um, deep learning. You don't need machine learning. Uh, you just need to know what the data means in the context of the business. And that's the hard part because you, we can't automate that. And, and the, this part, the le learning and distributing context and awareness in an organization requires the right culture, requires the right soft skills, right? The, the right people skills, requires the right infrastructure. And that doesn't happen unless you have the C-level unanimously understanding that this stuff matters, that we cannot just take a shortcut and get to the fancy, you know, um, artificial intelligence power bot, because that alone won't change <laughs> anything in the end. It will be just a blip in the, in the big radar, uh, but it won't dramatically deliver the digital transformation outcome that we want. And so the three steps of digital transformation, if you, if you stay, take a step back, are at, at the bare minimum an understanding and awareness that we live in a siloed, um, in information siloed reality. So we have now heaps of choice and that's good. You know, marketing has five or 10 mark tech platforms they can choose from FinTech. Um, you combine all these tools and now, because they're they, they not developed as part of the same offering, they speak different languages. And, and now we, the reality is most organizations have a data layer that is fragmented. Um, and so that is the first step realizing that we need to glue this, this data together. The second step is to worry about common definitions for the, for the organization. So take those meaningful relationships and codifying them into at least four C's of that, of, of data structure. Without a code, you can't identify what you're selling. Everything, every, every individual is being a policy for an insurance company or shoes for, you know, whatever it is, <clears throat> there has, there has to be a code associated to that entity that you're selling and that should be unique. And that's the part where I think we, we have lots of problems. Uniqueness is hard. You know, there's a saying that aligning columns is easy. Aligning rows is hard. You know, we, analysts do it all the time. They take different data sets and then join them together. They align rows with rows to create more extended views of, of, um, of the problem and, and try to solve it. That process, if you don't have a data management program in place, that a data governance framework in place, will be hard. And that's why, going back to the original question, data scientists spend a ton of time <laughs> aligning those rows, you know, asking what was this come from? Can I trust it? How does that connect to the other thing? Is which version of five should I use for this model? If I'm a leader, uh, Lotus, uh, what, what is your definition of, or you're a consultant, you're coming and talking to me. I'm asking you, Lotus, <clears throat> how can we integrate and make my company digitally transformed use all the latest of the latest AI and ML technologies so that we are, we are market leaders. And, and you've got six months time, what would you do? <laughs> well, <clears throat> I don't think it's gonna happen. That's my, uh, that's my answer right there. Um, I know that I'm losing already a lot of customers, but I, I, I don't care, I own that. And I, I, know, I know that that's realistic. It's, it's not realistic. It's not gonna happen in six months. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this completely against my personal interest, right? Because my point is not to, and I've been 
involved in really exciting work with completely unrealistic expectations. And uh, it's not a nice way of, um, of working. It doesn't work for you as an individual. Um, it puts a lot of pressure, a lot of unnecessary anxiety. And it's not, it doesn't work for the business either because the outcome is disappointment, even when there is a success, as opposed yeah. to, right, let's look at this in the bigger picture. That result was actually really, really good compared to you know, the reality of the industry. And those figures that you quoted, 85% of data science projects fail. That's, that's a reality. Um, but you'd be surprised by how skewed, how distorted the perception is at the sea level of those numbers, even in 2021. Uh, so that's, that's the, well, that's the awareness bit. We need to pierce through the marketing bubble and try to try to look at the problem for what it is. Uh, it's not exciting. It's not going to make any VC jump from that chair and throw a hundred million dollars at you. But it's real, right? And so, depending on what you want to do, if you want to, if you want to burn everything in the shortest amount of time possible, and uh, and that's success for you, regardless of the outcome, then sure, let's go for it. Reach me, you know, datafoundations.com.au. We can do it in six months. But <laughs> if if your plan is to is to build a reliable organization and and empower idea the flow of ideas for real and be competitive in the next 20 years, then we need to take a different approach. We need to prioritize data management. Got it. That's so laying the foundation of the data, just to summarize, and then having a data governance in place, data management program, educating and understanding the different systems and how they interact are the basics and the foundations for you to start thinking about modernization and digital transformation. That's a good answer, Loris. Yeah, I think so. It's a tough one because it requires a change of perspective, especially from, from CEOs that, you know, it's time to think holistically. It's time to, to connect all those thoughts. It's not, you can just promote marketing for their amazing new MarTech software that, you know, increased click rate by 5%. If that breaks the connection with everything else. Well, yeah. yeah, cool. Great, great insights, Loris. I think you talked about today about relationship. You talked about uh, curiosity. You know, you talked about, you know, not looking things at silos, you know, and be realistic about what you want to achieve out of uh, uh, the project or for your expectations are correct there. So that's great. And that brings me to my next question is around the mindset which is required. Okay. One at the organization level and other at the business leaders or the data leaders which are there especially for the leaders of future, looking at there's so many moving parts right now. Yes, <clears throat> and the change has to happen uh, on many different levels, I think. It also depends on what kind of leaders are we talking about. There are, the way that I see it is that there's a new wave of leaders, those that understand technology, and that you know they, they might not be deep into the technical details, but they understand the problems, they follow the industry, they listen to podcasts. Um, and so for those folks, there are, they have an advantage objectively, right? They don't have to change completely their mentality. They just have to um, think more holistically. They have to, they have to yeah, worry about the connectivity of the different domains in the business more than the individual you know, sprint of, of one of them. Uh, add, the add the data layer because I'm, I'm sure CEOs already do it, <laughs> you know, in, in their meetings with the with the C-suite. But at the data layer, are we doing are we doing enough? And uh, that part is problematic for a number of reasons because if the organization is 
fairly horizontal and people are um, free to talk to each other and there's a lot of communication between departments, that's already a huge advantage. You're starting from a rock solid bottom and you can build from there. Um, because all, the, all of that, understanding the fragmentation means building the picture at the data layer. And the only way you can do that is by um, having a free flow of, of information between departments. No one should you know, build a rose color picture of reality because the moment you're distorting that, you're essentially making it a disfavor to everyone else. So in terms of culture, that, that bit is really, really important. Um, and that comes from the top, right? It's, it's the CEO is the director of the company that leads that way of thinking. People need to feel safe to look at reality for what it is and openly discuss how can, can we actually improve this. But if the culture is there and the vision is there, then what can you do? And I think the first step is um, to hire somebody, whether it's a consultant or someone full-time, somebody new to the organization that can bring a, uh, an, an unbiased sort of point of view on, on the data systems and can ask questions. And is, is really like the champion of question asking <laughs> uh, to, to, because what, what we tend to do, and this is, a, I think, the evolutionary speaking, we evolved to abstract and stop questioning the obvious because we need to focus on, you know, the houses on fire. We need to extinguish the fire. We can't start worrying about why is the paint white, you know? The house is on fire, right? So evolutionary speaking, this system, this ability of neglecting the old information and assuming it right is something extremely good. But in the context of a fast evolving market with a, with a fast moving pieces in a, in a large organization, we need to stop. I think we need to stop and question, why do we use that system? Why is that connected the way it is? Because band-aid solutions um, are everywhere, especially in large organizations. We keep fixing you know, the, the, the small little thing because we don't have a feel that we have agency. We don't, we don't feel we can actually make an impact or, or lead the change in, as individuals. And that might be true. And that's why the external viewpoint can help break that spell because somebody can just ask bluntly, why the hell are we doing that? And you know, sometimes people in the room go like, we haven't thought about it. <laughs> you know, We always been doing it that way. Uh, and. Uh, so when, when you feel safe to ask questions and, and question the obvious, then I think you can really gain an insight. The next question is purely for the audience and their you know, mindset. Uh, if I am a you know, graduate coming out of the university, you know, what are the different career opportunities that I'm lo looking at huh. when it comes to data? Yeah, they've got tons of roles, the data engineers, the data analysts, the data architect and whatnot. And secondly, if I'm an experienced uh, professional, what are the different areas where that I can actually look at? And, and I'm I'm more, uh, you know, I'm a passionate in terms of getting the product ownership. Uh, and that's the role that I play as well. So is there any other career opportunities that one can think about? So answer it in two ways, one, an entry level and two, an experienced professional perspective. Yeah, I think for entry levels, they're in trouble. <laughs> um, I'm really, I'm, I'm not obviously happy about the state of things. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity if you change slightly your perspective. Um, we have this massive amount of 
graduates coming out of courses on artificial intelligence or machine learning, expecting to uh, add value to an organization straight away. And every single one of them slams against an invisible wall, like a glass, almost a glass windshield um, on a highway because they, they, they've been uh, depicted, a, a picture has been depicted for them that is very different from reality. So that is a huge challenge. What can you do as a graduate? Well, if you're aware of this, because again, you, you seek information from many different points and you know enough about the industry, if you feel the frustration of data practitioners, then try to try to break the spell yourself. Like be proactive, engage with, uh, with leaders, particularly on LinkedIn. It's a wonderful community. Uh, it really is blowing me away. People that reach out and go like, oh, we should have a chat. You meet and you learn a new perspective, a new way of, of thinking that, that you didn't think about before. So that, that element of connectivity, you know, networking, not so much to increase the volume of potential connections, but networking to actually learn about somebody uh, that is doing the thing on the field for real and, and asking them, what are your pain points? Well, what would you suggest? What would you do differently if you could do, th if you could go three years back? And people are incredibly open to that question. So that curiosity element, again, I think is, is the main driver for new ones. For established leaders, um, you know, experienced leaders, what can they do? They, they can uh, try to upskill in the sense of not just Coursera, the new course on, on deep learning, but upskill in the sense of uh, following what leaders in the data space are doing. And I found again, that there's so many brilliant people, um, especially consultants, small boutique consultancies that have training courses. One that comes to mind is George Furikan with his Lights on Data. He publishes a lot of short videos and he has a course on data governance. Uh, another one is Nicola Ashcom in the UK. She's doing a lot of work on data governance and I'll be speaking with her this next week. Um, excellent, like exceptionally talented person with 20 years of experience, very, very humble and very open to connect. Those people I think will give you way more um, leverage and and, advance, and yeah, actual tangible uh, skills that you can apply in a real context, as opposed to just, you know, piling up a bunch of certificates. You've completed this, I've got that certification, I've got that AWS thing, I've got that Google GCP, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a yeah. bit of a waste of time from my perspective, but. That's a very <laughs> honest answer. Well done, well done, Loris. Yeah, <laughs> I hope it helps. <laughs> that brings to our last question, Loris. Uh, how can people reach out to you? LinkedIn, for sure. Yeah, happy happy to connect with anyone out there. Um, uh, obviously, the uh, podcast is hosted on my website, datafoundations.com.au slash the data project. And uh, you can follow me pretty much everywhere that, connect, that catches podcasts. So I think I'm on Amazon Alexa too, which is... I don't know how that happened. It's my <laughs> podcast hosting platform, but it's everywhere. The data project. Thanks for being with us today, Loris. So that's one um, final thoughts on inspiring ideas and any takeaway from this episode for the audience. Be curious as much as possible. Uh, also careful with too much curiosity because it can be overwhelming. So I think I think curious in a way of being smart about it, like ask questions to people that you feel 
they have an, a um, more experience than you and that will inev inevitably lead you to cut through the noise much faster and quicker than if you just have to sit and google stuff all the time well, thank fantastic. you for being with us today cheers thanks guys thank you